0: This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth,
1: and I'm Sam abual Samid. So,
0: Sam, I have to confess, I have uh, been working hard on a couple of high priority things, so uh, I may come across extra dumb this week. <laughs> Oh, uh, n-
1: trust me, no one <laughs> will notice. <laughs>
0: right. um, so let's just jump right into it and talk about what we're driving. So what have you been in this week?
1: So I have been in the uh, Honda Civic SI sedan, uh, which is the uh, kind of the, the next step up the performance ladder for Civics. Uh, it's, you know, we've had we've had SI Civics, you know, for what, the last 15, 20 years um, on and off, mostly on. Um, and yeah, you know, this one is you know the Civic has usually been just sort of the Si has been kind of just a slightly incremental step up mostly in terms of performance from the mainstream Civics, and that continues to be the case this time. I mean, it's it's a nice improvement, but it's certainly no Type R. Um, so you know when they announced the Si last November at the LA Auto Show, um, some people were a little disappointed that they opted to only offer it in. Uh, the sedan and coupe. Um, and I was one of those, I was kind of hoping that they would offer it in a hatchback, uh, which was, uh, which had just recently been launched at that time. Um, but, uh, they, you know, they've decided to go with the sedan and coupe and, you know, the hatchback, you know, gets the type R. Uh, and so I've got the four door, um, uh, it's, uh, I think 195 ho- or no, sorry, 205 horsepower uh, for the SI, um, which is about 30 horsepower more than the, the standard 1.5 liter. So it's a 1.5 liter turbo. Uh, basically they've cranked up the boost and made some other adjustments, um, tuned it for, to, you know, run on premium. Um, so you can get, you know, a little over 200 horsepower out of it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a great engine. I really like it. You know, they've, they've done a great job with it uh you know it's a little bit stiffer the you know aside from the engine uh upgrades you know the you know retune the suspension a little bit um the other main change that they've done to it the main mechanical change they've done to it is you get a um a helical gear limited slip differential uh which you know i you know they don't say who is the supplier but you know, that if it's not Torsen, it's a similar it's a, type yeah. of thing to what Torsen produces. Well, that's same concept as Torsen.
0: And that's been their trick for a long time. Honda's sort of uh, front wheel drive high performance trick that they started putting the Torsen in the the prelude right back in like 94. That was the ATTS mm-hmm. uh, where it would actually vector torque across the front axle. And it, it really does help.
1: Oh, yeah. It makes it makes a huge difference. And you know, even you know, two you know, a little over 200 horsepower, uh, just under 200 foot-pounds of torque. Um, you know, there's no torque steer in this thing. You know, when you when you get hard into it, you know, especially coming out of a corner, it feels really good, stable. You know, puts puts the power to the ground, um, does an excellent job with that. Um, you know, it everything feels well under control. Um, you know, it feels, you know, a little bit quicker than, um, our car, but not dramatically. So the, you know, the one that that my wife and I own, um, which is a hatchback with the, the standard one five, um, one of the things with the, the SI is it's only available with a six speed manual transmission, uh, which also means that, uh, it's not available with the Honda sensing package. Uh, so you don't get, you know, any of the uh, adaptive cruise control or, or things like that or the, the uh, lane keeping system that are available. I know. Automatic transmission systems. Yeah,
0: and I know this is going to be a shock, but I think those
1: are actually pluses. <laughs> well, you know, the um, the adaptive cruise control is a very nice feature. To yeah, that's have. that's true. You know, if, you're, if you're if you're taking a road trip, you know, it's very handy to have. That uh, That's true. The. um the you still have standard cruise control you just don't have the adaptive you know if you get stuck in traffic
0: yeah and that's i mean that's kind of the only thing i would miss out of that and i i guess though there are drivers who do like the car to to have their back a little bit um so yeah if that's important to you uh i suppose that buying such a driver's car might not be your first move anyway you know like
1: well you know uh, it it's a it's a driver's car but it's not you know it's not a really hardcore driver's car you know that that's where the type r comes in yeah so how does
0: it um how does it stack up against something like the gti i mean it's down on down on power a little bit but that that turbo one five doesn't feel turbocharged it's really pretty responsive so yeah
1: i mean the 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 thing about it is you know it's got really strong mid-range so, you know, for any type of all-around driving, you know, taking it on some curvy roads, you know, it pulls great out of corners. You know, it's got really strong mid-range and, you know, it, the red line is not as high as, you know, what you you know would typically get in naturally aspirated VTEC engines. But um, it still revs really quickly up to, you know, it's like 72, seventy 7, five hundred RPM red line. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to drive. And the other thing that they've done in the SI is it does have um, sport, you know, more heavily bolstered sports seats. Uh, so, you know, the standard seats in the Civic are really good, uh, but the, the ones in the SI are even better. you know, so you get it it really holds you in place well. Um, the, the seat backs have, um, fixed, um, fixed headrests. Uh, so, you know, it looks more like a, like a Recaro seat or something like that. Uh, but not, you know, it's not quite as extreme as a typical Recaro seat.
0: Yeah. There's, they're kind of fake ROs.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they're good. Yeah. They're, they're they're comfortable. They're, you know, they're supportive. You know, they, they, they certainly fit me well. So I'm, I'm not complaining about the seats. And you know, I mean, I've I've always liked Honda seats. Honda's always done really good seats. The the only complaint I've ever had about you know some of them in some of the smaller cars is the seat cushions maybe being uh, a little bit too short. Uh, you know, if you've got longer thighs. But aside from that, you know, and that's not really a problem in this one. So aside from that, I I don't have any other real issues with it.
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of hard not to really enjoy the Si. Like That's sort of Honda at its best. It's doing what Honda has classically done at its highest level uh how does it i mean you know it's in this class now of vehicles that are its contemporary set is like the the uh focus st and the like i yeah, said the gti yeah, it's,
1: it's um you know it's not in terms of uh raw performance it's not up there with the focus st um you know the focus st is i think two, 255 horsepower this one's only 205 uh but on the other hand it's a lot more refined um, you know, the, it doesn't have some of the torque steer that the Focus ST exhibits. Um, you know, the the ride quality on you know some some of the roads around here. You know, I've complained previously about the ST and the and the RS with its bounciness on you know some roads. Um, Civic does not exhibit any of that kind of behavior. So, you know, it's um, it's a lot it's a lot nicer to live with than the uh, than the, than the ST. You know, it's. It's not going to win a drag race with the ST, um, and at least you know in sedan form, the sedan does have a, a spoiler on the trunk lid, uh, but it's not you know it's not you know really huge and bold. It's it's you know it's it's bigger than you know it it definitely sets it apart from a standard Civic sedan, but not um, you know it, it doesn't look ridiculous. It's certainly nothing like the the Type R wing. Uh, and then the one, the version on the, uh, the coupe is a little bit more aggressive than that. Uh, but you know, that's, that's in keeping with the coupe's design relative to the sedan anyway.
0: Yeah. I, I go back and forth with, um, like this, even the civic sport being somewhat overdone or decent. Um, and, and just the overall design of the civic and civic hatch they're both Honda and Toyota seem to be trying to figure out what the next version of their design language is going to be. And they're they're going a little bit edgy uh, in an attempt to be expressive. And I'm not sure it fully works on anything, although I guess if you're going to be you know a little bit more aggressive in terms of styling, the SI probably wears it pretty well. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I go back and forth.
1: I think from from a design standpoint, maybe the the one thing I would complain about on the Civic is the the rear fascia, you know the the pockets, the black plastic pockets that you know are meant to kind of look like vents, um, yeah, you know, and they're they're not, um, <laughs> you know, so I think that's that's maybe a little bit overdone, and I wouldn't be surprised to see you know when it gets around to a mid cycle refresh, you know, if they maybe tone that down a little bit. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm quite pleased with the design. I, I like the, I like the design. I like the proportions of it. Um, you know, and I like the, the transition they made in the proportions from the previous gen, the last couple of generations of Civics, uh, you know, kind of moving the base of the windshield back a little bit, giving it a more distinct, um, break between the hood and the windshield and, and the greenhouse, um, and then sweeping back into the, the roof line that, that goes right back to the trunk lid. Um, you know, I mean, that's you know, that's personally, I, I like that. And I, I like the, uh, I like the hatchback even more, uh, myself, but, um, you know, that's, that's all a matter of taste anyway.
0: Yeah. If you want, if you want
1: something, you know, if you want something that's a little more restrained and refined from a design standpoint, then, you know, I would definitely, you know, uh, point you in the direction of Mazda, uh, you know, the Mazda three, you know, is a, is an outstanding alternative. If you, don't like something quite so ostentatious. Yeah.
0: But standard. then you're giving up performance. You know, there's not a, there's not a Mazda three right now that competes performance, right. You know, they don't, they're not making the Mazda speed three right now. So.
1: Right. You know, even, even the 2.5 liter, you know, I think is a, is a little bit weaker than a, uh, feels weaker than the, the one point, the, even the standard 1.5 liter turbo in the, in yeah. The A-Sip. Well,
0: I mean, it's uh it's another choice. It's good to have choice. Yep. Uh, what's the sticker at? Absolutely. Uh,
1: it's surprisingly affordable. It's only 23, nine. Um, and there's, there's really only one, you know, there's, there's one, one configuration um, for the, uh, uh, for the civic SI. And, you know, in, in typical Honda fashion, you know, they do several different trim levels, you know, typically for each model line. And, you know, there's almost no, you know, there's basically no options. You know, you, if you pick whichever package you want uh, in the case of the SI, that's one trim level. And there's, there's one configuration of that. You basically pick your color uh, as the, the only option, you know, and then there's some dealer installed accessories you can get, but essentially, you know, it's uh, it's roughly equivalent to the, uh, the EX trim level on the the standard civics. So it's the mid-level trim. It's not quite up there with the, the touring, um, but um, it you know it's it's nicely laid out. Uh, it's got a sunroof. Um, got the the touch radio, the touchscreen radio with Android Auto and CarPlay support. Uh, speaking of which, um, a couple of days ago, uh, Google finally released um, an updated version of Waze with support for Android Auto. So if you like using Waze as your navigation system, you can now do that through Android Auto. Um, and I tried it out in the civic, uh, and yes. Yeah. See, I prefer to use rage as my navigation system because it, like <laughs> checking
0: ways or any of that stuff is just going to make me angry because it's just going to show me the extent of the gridlock I have yet to face. And, um, what is
1: this gridlock that you speak of, Dan. I'm, yeah. I'm uh, with concept.
0: I'm, I'm detecting a little sarcasm, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh,
1: Oh, I've, I've spent more than
0: yeah. Boston gridlock gridlock is because our roads are so old and our real estate, you know, especially going East from where I live to toward the city, like everything just gets more valuable, all the land, the closer I get to to the office and the roads just get more congested. It's, you know, there's no, there's no room for the roads to expand in a lot of places. So it's just, yeah,
1: I know that the last couple of times I've had to head over to Detroit, I've had to make sure to time my return very carefully because uh, uh, back in May they uh, closed down I seventy five south of Detroit uh, about a five mile stretch of I seventy five, and it's it's going to be closed for about a year as they completely tear it up and rebuild it. And so what they've done, yeah, the northbound side of that stretch is still open. So traffic yeah. heading north towards Detroit is fine, but anybody who has to head south uh, is being diverted from I-75 uh, on the north side of Detroit across I-94 over towards the airport and then south. And so that stretch of I-94 between Detroit and Dearborn uh, is, you know, at, at any time between about you know two in the afternoon and, and six o'clock is just a complete Ugh. mess right now and it's going to be for the foreseeable future. So I have to make sure that I either get out early, you know, if I'm going somewhere or, or else I stick around Detroit for a while. Yeah,
0: It's, I mean, uh, and we're in construction season now too, because you know, the temperatures are are moderate. So yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. They, they, around here, they do the fun thing where they'll, uh, like they're replacing a lot of our bridges uh, even on like I-95. Um, and so they'll divert northbound or southbound lanes across so the, you know they got three lanes and then some shoulder so they'll take away the shoulder and they'll make two northbound and two southbound lanes that in on the side that was like typically just northbound or southbound you right like they'll they'll divert two lanes across the median mm-hmm. it's just like what are you doing yep it, and it just creates crazy bottlenecks so uh That's a great way for me to evaluate all the Tekken cars as I sit in traffic. Uh, (laughs) 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 Correct. Nothing nothing better. Uh, And so this week I have had the uh, completely off-road capable Jeep Compass Trailhawk, and it didn't go off-road. Although they're replacing the water mains on my own street, so every morning I cross... Yeah, yeah. I mean, every morning I cross two feet worth of gravel. Uh, They they dug a trench today in the street. It's great. um
1: so this is the new compass right
0: right. Uh, and it's so it's both very much an improvement and not much of an improvement at the same time you know it's it certainly looks great uh materials quality is way better in the interior uh it's quieter it's smoother um it's a it's a nice package you know it's it's roomier i think um at least uh at first blush it's it's definitely you know easier to get in and out of it's less of a little cavern inside um and i do think it's actually a little bit larger so it has a little bit more rear seat space a little bit more cargo room uh it's just a nicer vehicle uh you know they even had uh
1: considering (laughs) well
0: i was gonna say you know the old one they had tried to make it uh a little bit nice toward the end of its life there as they extended it
1: they, right. they, did, they did upgrade the materials in the, in the front, you know, in the front seat yeah, and they, you know, on the dashboard and everything. They they did that refresh back in like, the,
0: yeah. And they, they came out with a limited model uh, just a couple of years ago, I think in like 2013 um, that got the six speed automatic. Uh, but, and, you know, that was a disappointment. Uh, no, six it got the, than the, it. the old compass got the six speed, the old comp- compass limited. Um, okay.
1: Yeah. Cause it originally yeah. had a CVT in there that was. One- yeah.
0: And the lower trims ever. still had that. So, you know, that was another case of like, Oh, I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, so great. Cause I would driven so many of those vehicles, you know, Patriot and compass, um, with the CVT and I just, it was just bad. And I thought that the six speed was going to make a big difference. No, it was still bad. Uh, <laughs> this one, you know, all of that, all of the, the like real glaring errors are definitely taken care of. And it is a, a solid, sort much more solid choice. Uh, nobody's going to really like fault you. You're not going to get the scrunched up nose from picking the compass, uh, this version of the compass that you, you might have with the old one um so So it's still kind of a, a an economy car platform that's turned into a jeep like i'm not gonna doubt that it's capable um even the old compass again like especially with the trail rated badge on it when it was set up right like it could do some stuff off road that you'd be really surprised at how capable it was um you know driven correctly it probably had more capability than you had talent for most people, uh, and this is this is the same way, you know, especially in, in Trailhawk trim. Um, and it, it looks really good, but it doesn't necessarily drive like a anything other than a an economy car that's been given sort of a little bit more ground clearance, and you know the the nine speed transmission is really sluggish. Uh, the engine's not that gutsy. Um. so there are situations and I know I think it was consumer reports also knocked the new compass for being so sluggish like they they felt it was on the the verge of being dangerous uh, in terms of being unresponsive and I I can't say that I go that far but you you definitely had to if you really wanted the performance out of it you had to manually shift it and leave it in lower gears so you could sort of wind the snot out of the engine and use what performance was there. Um, the transmission was really, really sort of slow to respond. And I, you know, that's been the case with this nine speed in every Chrysler vehicle I've, I've used it. And, uh, it's just been real unsatisfying. And it, it sometimes even gets confused or just, it acts wonky, you know, like th- there's a, a delay or a pause or some weird shifting behavior. So, uh that's not any better and the uh the overall sort of solidity of the platform just I, I don't know i get kind of the same sense out of the the renegade which is based on the same bits for the most part um it is Quite a bit but smaller. you know overall i think the best version of all of this hardware is still the fiat 500x <laughs> you know it's
1: it, it, well, it yes, I think in terms of on-road driving, I would agree with you. I think, I think it is, I think the the 500 X is the best variant um, off-road though, you know, either of the, uh, the TrailHawks. I've, I've, I've had an opportunity to drive both of those on some serious off-road terrain. And they, uh, when, when Fiat Chrysler puts a trail rated badge on a Jeep, you can be, pretty much guaranteed that it really is trail rated. I mean it's yeah no, there's no I, I there's no nonsense there. I mean it that sucker will go through just about anything you can throw at it, including yeah, 16 inches of water.
0: I don't doubt that they mean it um when they put it on there. Uh but let's let's be frank and understand that the trailhawk for all the capability that it carries it's really bought because of the way it looks. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. People <laughs> like that look with the the bigger wheels and tires and riding a little higher. You know, yeah, it looks you know more aggressive um, than you know than the standard versions. Um, and you know nothing wrong with that, I guess.
0: No, it it looks fantastic, yeah. and you know even even as I say, you, you know it feels not as solid as I would like. It's not that it's, um. You know, it doesn't really ride harsh. What it, what happens is it feels like it runs out of sort of dynamic uh, chops um, quicker than I would expect. It doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, and maybe this is because it was a Trailhawk, which would probably feel a lot more comfortable off-road. Um,
1: I, I suspect it, that what is the, the setup of, of you know, the, the suspension and everything. You know, when you're running off-road, you are, you know, especially when you're doing some serious off-roading, you know, crawling, you know, through trails, you know, through the, through the forest or, you know, through water, fording a river or stream, um, you know, or climbing up a steep grade, you know, you're not going very fast. So everything is yeah. kind of moving in slow motion. And so I suspect that, you know, the, that off-road tuning of the suspension is geared towards those slower, but high amplitude motions that you're going to experience in that kind of condition. And you know, I think that you know is going to have a little bit of a a negative influence on the way it behaves. You know, when you're driving on regular roads.
0: Yeah. So if that's the case, then they've done a really good job of balancing those two sort of competing talents. Um, what it doesn't like on the road are those quick transients. You know, like. Uh, cornering to you know cornering left and then having to to you know, like an S curve right mm-hmm. so you're going one direction and you've got to quickly you know go go around to the other direction it it doesn't like those transitions uh it starts to feel a little bit unsure again this is me driving um me who just got a $300 ticket a couple a few weeks ago so let's just say occasionally my driving style is somewhat more aggressive so maybe the people who buy this thing because they like not, the butch not, way not it looks
1: optimized for uh, off-road uh yeah trail tra- trail running
0: the, yeah they're not necessarily most people who own this may not ever find those dynamic uh sort of unsteadiness uh behaviors but i i noticed some of it and i you know i i don't like it when my cars feel somewhat unsure uh at a at, you know at a level of of driving intensity that, you know, I don't really deem like as pushing it, you know, if I can start to notice it when I'm not really intending to push the car that hard, it, it stands out. And so again, though, this is sort of driving style, you know, personal preference kind of stuff. Um, I also thought it was kind of expensive. Um, and that's also because it's the, it's the, the trailhawk, but, uh, it was $34,000 on the sticker.
1: Which is, that's, that's Grand Cherokee money. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money for, you know, well, actually, if you compare it to other compact crossovers, um, you know, I mean, you you compare it to an Equinox or a CRV, you know, nicely equipped, you're going to be in that, you know, mid thirties range anyway, you know, with any of those.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but see, the, the, the and this is where Jeep's lineup is a little, it's a little weird at the moment. You've got the Renegade, which is certainly the smallest Jeep. That makes sense. And then you've got the new Compass that is almost right on top of the Cherokee. But the the Cherokee is the one that competes with the the CRV uh in terms of size. Like it's it's that's the size. The Compass is still slightly smaller. So if you're comparing Equinox or CRV to to a Jeep, you're comparing it to the Cherokee.
1: Maybe they've got a little and, bit too much granularity in their their lineup.
0: Uh, yeah. Um and then you know you go from the Cherokee to the Grand Cherokee which is again like I mean there's definitely the Grand Cherokee is bigger but you know the Cherokee itself like everything's almost right on top of each other from the compass on up the the Renegade sort of definitely fills in that that sort of smaller size gap but um you know for 35 grand you're getting what is essentially the the top of the line off-road hardware with the trailhawk you're not necessarily getting all of the luxury features which is i guess it's okay but you know it still had had uh cloth seats and maybe that's part of the package um where yeah but you get the trailhawk with the you know the tire track pattern seats or, or well that's actually the rebel the dodge rebel i'm driving after but you, you get the the sort of two the the cloth and vinyl or cloth and leather yeah. or whatever seats well, you know th- and they're they're nice it, but
1: you know the, the compass does you know front wheel drive compass does start at 21 so it's not like you can't get a more affordable one but you're, you're yeah i mean you know the 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 trailhawk is loaded but it you know it's also got um a, a dual range transfer case um locking center differential you know uh so for you know to provide you that that traction that off-road traction um, so and that's that's a, quite a bit of extra hardware in there that yeah. justifies that cost. It's not just you know what they've done on the inside of the cabin,
0: right? And those two things right there that's pardon my French, but that's some serious shit. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, a two speed transfer case and a locking center differential. That's like 90% of not getting stuck, right?
1: Well, and anywhere. that's you know, <laughs> even the you can get that in the Renegade too. I mean, that's what sets Jeep apart from you know all of the other crossovers, even though you know these are car-based platforms, you know, they have engineered in these serious off-road um, drivetrains that are capable of, of going through all this stuff, um, you know, and I, I, I had the opportunity to drive the Renegade, the Compass, and the Cherokee, you know, through this, this same off-road course and, you know, <laughs> all three of them did amazingly well, uh, you know, I, I had, I was, I never felt like it was at risk of getting stuck anywhere.
0: Yeah. So I mean, you know, as an actual crawler, it's fantastic. And I, I think that they've struck a really good balance between on-road and off-road behavior. As a mall crawler, which is what it's going to be used as in the majority of, you know, situations, uh I, I think, you know, for me the dynamic performance suffers a little bit, but I haven't driven the regular compass. Uh this is the first time I've driven the new compass and it's Bend the Trailhawk, which does trade off some on-road performance and and uh, sort of stability and comfort uh, for better off-road uh, behavior. Yeah. So
1: I'd be curious to see how the the Latitude or the Limited feel compared yeah. to the Trailhawk.
0: Yeah, and and the Limited is definitely going to have those those uh, luxury features that I feel kind of should be there for thirty five thousand um, dollars. But you know that you buy the Trailhawk, it's it's a little bit more of a a purposeful piece. So, you know, I, I really, really like the new Compass. Um, I think it's, it's a great step up. Um, I, I, I would caution you that you're, you're paying the Jeep tax <sighs> when you buy any version of this. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's going to be competitive. Uh, it's likely to be, you're likely to be able to buy more vehicle, more crossover elsewhere in terms of practical concerns like uh passenger room and, and cargo space and, and maybe even uh you know, features for the dollar but Jeep is you know and all of Chrysler's really good at giving you nice materials you know somebody sweats the details on their cars they're they're good places to be um so i mean i i personally wanted a Jeep because because i liked it i liked the way it rode and drove um and and the environment inside so there's no shame here like there used to be uh i find it hilarious that you can directly compare uh you because you can still go buy a patriot which is the old compass so you, you can drive that and then you can drive this and make your mind up so that's all i have to say about that i've been blathering on for too long and we should get to topics
1: all right let's do that
0: uh so uh, this week there's been a lot of nonsense about automated driving again.
1: Nonsense um, about automated driving. What what could could you possibly mean?
0: You don't say. Well, there's legislation that uh, happened too that we we haven't really covered, and and we, I should actually read up on some of that stuff. I, there was...
1: Yeah, I, I actually dug up. I I managed to find at least the version of it that the committee, uh, the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, was debating last week. Um, so the version from last Friday, and who knows what it looks like today. They actually voted today, today. It's Thursday night as we record this, and the committee voted and passed it out of committee to the full house. Um, but they, uh, the version from last Friday, at least, um, they, they made some, they made a, f- a few changes that I'm aware of. Uh, like they slowed down the, the rate at which, um, Manufacturers could deploy uh, highly automated vehicles, the number the number of vehicles per year. Uh, The original version uh, allowed uh, manufacturers to put up to one hundred thousand vehicles per year on the road um, that had some exemptions from some federal motor vehicle safety standards. And some of the some of the initial reporting. Uh, as is so, unfortunately, so often the case is <laughs> completely out of touch. Yeah. Um, so there, there was um, there was some interesting stuff in there uh, when I looked through and And like I said, I have to go back now tomorrow and dig up the, the current version of it that they actually voted on today. But the um, the original version, um, they uh, basically what they were exempted from was the requirement to have a steering wheel and pedals. Uh, so, you know, it's terrible, it didn't, you know, it didn't say any, you know, it didn't say anything about, um, you know, the crash safety standards, uh, occupant safety protection, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to do an automated vehicle, I mean, this is, this is what they want to do for level four vehicles is they want to create, build vehicles that don't have any human controls. Um, those are trains. So, well, there, yeah, there's <laughs> we, we talked about that last week, but, um, uh, the, you know, uh, so if they're going to, you know, I mean, Ford has said this, you know, their their 2021 level four vehicle is not going to have a steering wheel and pedals and it's going to be used for ride hailing services. Uh, so, but before they can do that, you know, they need this, this legislation that gives them that exemption. Um, but what it doesn't give them an exemption from, uh, is, you know, things like, you know, Crash safety airbags, um, you know, all of the the other stuff, you know, uh, lighting, you know, brake brake regulations, that sort of thing. All that stuff, at at least as it was until a few days ago, is still there. Um, So, you know, what what changed uh, that I know of so far is that rather than starting at one hundred thousand vehicles from the first year, they're allowed twenty five thousand the first year, uh, ramping up uh, an extra twenty five thousand each year over three years to get to a hundred thousand, um, per year. Um, and what they suppose, what they have to do in some form that is still unclear, uh, is, uh, before they get approval to put those vehicles on the road is they have to verify that they are as safe as conventional vehicles. What that exactly means is going to be up to NHTSA, uh, the national highway traffic safety administration, which um, last time I checked still does not have an administrator under the new uh, uh, the new uh, president. Um, so who, who will be responsible for that is anyone's guess. Um, but at least, you know, this is the way the, the bill was written. So uh, NHTSA would have to um, you know, verify that these vehicles are safe enough. But that's you know that's basically the the gist of it. What was interesting, and I, I said I don't know if it's still in there uh, the, in the version they voted on today. But what was in there was actually some other interesting things that were added in that were part of that bill because it was actually you know a package of I think like fourteen different bills that were all compiled together uh, that amended various other regulations and laws, um, and you know they they actually tacked in tacked on a couple of things in there. Um, one of which was uh, directing NHTSA to uh, look at um, revising the regulations for lighting. Uh, you know, basically to allow you know more modern types of lighting systems. You know, because there's some you know new types of headlights that are now rolling out in Europe that currently are not legal under the regulations here um yeah well the, i mean i see a lot of lighting on the roads here that are currently not
0: legal there's lots of aftermarket led stuff going on
1: yeah well i mean there's the aftermarket stuff and then you know this 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 would you know obviously would refer to oem stuff yeah um yeah you know, the other thing that was that was kind of controversial uh in the rules is preempting um the uh, uh state regulations and You know, I think that's that's one where I actually really agree with it. uh, Is that they, you know, you don't want fifty different regulations for what's allowed on automated vehicles. You know, they they, it would still allow states to um, excuse me to define. You know, here's how you license and register these vehicles, just as they do today. So the states could define could define that stuff, but in terms of the motor vehicle safety standards. That would be um, defined at the federal level, which I think is really how it should be, because you don't want a patchwork of different regulations for that. Granted, you know, if you're going to do that, then you've got to have a reasonable set of regulations at the federal level. And the the proposal, uh, at least as I said from last week, also uh, directed NHTSA to look at formulating uh, some uh, some regulations on the performance of automated driving systems, you know, so for things like, uh, the sensing capabilities, which is something I've advocated for a long time, that uh, if you're going to have any regulations at all for automated driving, that's something that should be in there is looking at how, um, you know, making sure that you have some baseline performance requirements for things like the sensing systems. And the other thing they had in there was also directing Nitsa to look at, you know, how you could, um, Make sure that uh, the cybersecurity was addressed, Um, you know, figuring out some sort of standards for uh, for cybersecurity for these automated vehicles. Um, And again, you know, it didn't it didn't get into specifics, just directing NHTSA, you know, to start studying this and look at, you know, what what do we need in terms of regulation on that count?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, right now, they're a little bit preoccupied uh, with other regulation. Uh, (laughs) yeah uh, so we could just call this the skinny autonomous care bill and see how that happens um but you know uh it's not to to delve too far into my own personal politics but for a administration and and government that's uh bent on undoing so many regulations and so much it's it's sort of so much oversight uh you know like i think they're they're trying to get rid of like arpa and (laughs) like a, a lot of things that kind of inform what is what technology is going to do for us in the future. uh, These are things that actually need more, more regulatory oversight. And uh, when you're, when your whole premise is to undo that kind of stuff, like you can't have it both ways. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I was, I was actually surprised when I, when I read through the language of, you know, what they were, what they were discussing last week and, it actually seemed like a shockingly rational proposal, um, which makes well, yeah, it's not healthcare. It'll never pass, but
0: right, well, no, 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 it'll it'll pass. Uh, this is this is about cars and and big business. It's it's not about taking care of the population. So, all right, sorry, I'm getting too sarcastic. We should, should just keep going.
1: Uh, <laughs> so further on the the topic of uh <laughs> autonomous vehicles
0: yeah um yeah so uh you actually wrote a post for the navigant research blog um about uh the a- automated driving how it's sort of gonna turn into the, the the what goes on in the app store
1: yeah well not not that it that it will but it 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 looks like it's going in that direction so um if you're you know if you haven't necessarily been paying attention right. to the 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 market for smartphone apps, you know, um, every you know couple times a year when Apple has their big events and Tim Cook, their CEO, gets up on stage and touts you know how many billions of dollars Apple has paid out to developers uh, over the last nine years since they launched the the iPhone App Store uh, and how many millions of apps there are in the App Store. Um, one of the things that Tim Cook never talks about. Is what the distribution of those billions of dollars? And I think the most recent figure was about eighteen billion dollars that they've paid out to app developers over the last nine years, which is fantastic. It's it's amazing, you know. And they've had over two million apps in the app store. But what he what he neglects to mention is that some uh, from a study last year that was published last year, roughly ninety six percent of all of that revenue goes to like the top two hundred developers
0: yeah but i mean so it's kind of like one of those twas always thus things not just in the app store but with any kind of marketplace really you're gonna have yeah, um dominant players
1: exactly that's you know and i'm i'm not fundamentally opposed to that i mean that's just the reality of the way modern uh, commercial markets work you know that it, it tends to get concentrated um you know starts off you know, in the in the early days of the App Store, you know, a bunch of independent developers got in there, and you know, guys like Marco Armit, you know, launched apps like Instagram and, or uh, sorry, Instapaper, and you know, then there was Instagram and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you know, and you know, some a lot of these independent developers were able to make a pretty decent living early on, but today it's really difficult, you know, to near impossible for an independent developer to to get any kind of real traction in the app store. Most of, you know, most of the most popular apps, you know, if you look at all the most popular apps in the app store, all of them, uh, you know, come from predominantly uh, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. Uh, You know, that's, that's the stuff that's, that's out there that that's getting the most traction. And then, you know, in games, you've got uh, companies like King with, or I think it's King that does candy crush saga. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, there's, there's this handful of companies that dominate the marketplace and what i wrote about today on, on the on my company's blog was how the um automated driving space is rapidly looking like it's turning into the same thing if you look at silicon valley and it's like every time i turn around there's some other startup you know with three or four guys uh you know setting up shops somewhere in silicon valley to develop automated driving software you know there's dozens you know perhaps I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the hundreds of these little startups, you know, that are getting seed funding from investors, you know, getting a few million here, a few million there. And, you know, and in some cases, you know, they've managed to ramp up fairly quickly and get acquired, you know, some companies like cruise automation that got acquired by GM last year, Argo AI. (coughs) And um, the, the thing is, what most of these guys are doing is the same thing. Most of them are just doing software. They're not developing hardware. Um, they're not developing the services to deploy this stuff. They're just doing the self-driving software. And from what I'm seeing, you know, that stuff is already starting to reach a reasonable level of maturity. And it's, it's not clear that there's going to be any um, significant, breakthroughs on the just on the software side that are going to justify you know uh or that are going to allow any of these guys to make a real mark in the marketplace
0: yeah well so the entrepreneurial uh side of me looks at this and says of course they're setting you know you're going to san francisco and setting up shop or you know silicon valley uh because that's where that's a that's where the talent is. You're going to find the people who've had some experience with this stuff in that area. Um, also that's where the money is. That's where you can meet Lots the people Lots of money.
1: Right. Uh, Lots of right. Like I mean, silly money. And and that's that's my point is that there's there's all these VCs and and angel investors that are you know willing to throw, you know, millions of dollars at these guys in the hope that, you know, they're going to come up with something that's going to get them a huge exit, you know, a huge acquisition from somebody.
0: Right. And that's what they're doing it for. They're not doing it. See the early stuff, like, like early apps, right. They were passion projects mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Oh, yeah. And, and it was a, it was an immature marketplace. So, uh, it hadn't then become flooded with these big players, uh, you know, because it is a marketplace as well. So you're, you're marketing your wares. Right. And Once that sort of ossifies and um, becomes a pretty standardized way of selling things, it becomes a lot more difficult and a lot more sort of expensive and standardized as a a way to to just get the name of your thing out there. And that's I think that's kind of the same thing that's going on with uh, the 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 autonomous uh, vehicle software and and hardware development and everything and just that environment out in, in Silicon Valley. Um, there's, it's sort of quickly like those dominant players have established themselves. It's hard to make a mark on your own, but what you can do is, uh, go meet the people who know the people who will get, you know, who will acquire you. And so you come up with something that's like marginally interesting. Maybe you are passionate about it, but, um, you know, your end, your end goal is not to, you know, build the next Tesla. Your end goal is to get bought by Tesla,
1: right? It's those, those are different things or some other OEM.
0: Right, right. Or, or, you know, like we've seen uh, GM or Ford. And, and I think honestly, those are going to be the companies. And we've talked about that uh, GM and Ford are going to be the companies uh, and other major automakers
1: and BMW uh, and Volkswagen yeah. and Son.
0: Yeah. Those are going to be the ones. And it's again, you know, like you pointed at the app store uh, those are the ones who can afford to dominate because this stuff takes time. They're sitting on piles of money. They've got other revenue streams. They can pay people to develop things, or they can pay people for you know to buy the things that they've already developed. Uh, and that, that's actually a really good way for an established brand or or you know established company to do it is let somebody else take all the risk and then just buy it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know like, and I think you know this is. This is rapidly turning into, you know, just like every other gold rush that's ever happened yeah. or a yep. you know, metal rush um, where, you know, all the prospectors and all these all these guys, you know, starting up their little, you know, two, five, six person shops in, in the valley. You know, these guys are all the prospectors that are out there panning for gold in the stream um, and almost none of them will ever make a dime off of what off the work they're doing. The the people that are making the making the, the bucks off of this that are making all the money off of this are the guys selling the shovels and the pans and the sifters, you know, the hardware salesman. Which in this case is the Nvidias and the Intels and you know all the all the sensor suppliers, the hardware companies that are selling them all the pieces that they need to do their their software development. That's where the money is, and you know I think that um, you know for the VCs that are that are pouring in money into all these startups, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, for, for VCs, you know, the, the way that business works anyway is, you know, they, they know, you know, that 90% or more of the projects that, that they invest in are going to fail. You know, what they count on is, you know, one out of every 10 hits big. Um, right.
0: Well, and it's, it's, it's a it's other people's money, right? right? And they're looking for they're looking for those unicorns, and so you have that ratio of success to failure. It's I don't know. It's I, a, I think
1: I think at this point it's already too late for even that one out of ten to for any for yeah. any further investments. And I think you know that they would be wise to look elsewhere at this point. Guys,
0: look at innovation in the healthcare market. <laughs> especially around stuff like electronic health records and uh seamless transfer of information between practices and providers. And if you could work on a single payer system, that's affordable, that'd be great. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think that's something we should solve. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about something else then.
1: okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh- Car companies uh, looking at gutting gutting their car model lineups.
0: Yeah, I heard about that. Um, I mean, it's there was the talk that the Impala could go, and even the Volt. Um, and you know, Ford's also looking to trim the Taurus. Uh, what else is on a, the? A bunch of you know, block? a
1: bunch of these are obvious ones. Um, but you know, all of it's, those it's are all, obvious. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's all it's all coming out of the fact that you know the market as a whole is shifting you know from cars to crossovers and, and suvs yeah you know, so you know the the mark you know the, this year the, the market you know we're going to have uh a decline you know significant decline in sales for the first time since 2010 um and it's probably going to probably keep continuing to decline for a couple more years before it starts to climb back up again but even within that decline cars are declining much faster than than trucks and, and utilities and so you know, car makers are looking at, you know, <laughs> reducing the number of car models that they're selling. You know, And so for GM, there was a report earlier this week that they might cut as many as six car models, um, most of which are actually built at one plant in Detroit, the Detroit Hamtramck assembly plant, uh, you know, possibly cutting the Impala, the Volt, the Chevy, uh, Buick LaCrosse, um, the Cadillac CT6. Um, and I forget what the other two are now. Yeah, but uh, they
0: came back and said that the CT6 is actually probably safe for now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't think they'll they'll get, call, uh, kill the CT6 at this point, um, at least for another generation. But the um, the other ones, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see the big sedans go because, you know, that's that's a rapidly declining market. And for the same reason, you know, Ford has already said that, you know, the next gener- the, the the next generation Taurus that they're building in China is not going to be available, not, not going to be coming to the U S market, you know, and that's based on a stretched version of the fusion platform. That's not coming to the U S. Um, and in all likelihood, the Taurus will die next year uh, in 2018. I mean, it's, it's already pretty old. The current yeah, I mean, iteration came out in 2010. So
0: yeah, it, that's not really a surprise. It's, it's an okay car. Um, it's, it's well outclassed by the, it, the lacrosse and the impala at this point oh, and nobody nobody's buying those things yeah so it like it all makes sense to just kill the stuff that's not selling like don't hang on to large sedans because of tradition like if they're not selling stop building them when there's demand build them again yeah <laughs> it seems
1: mean, to make sense uh, to hyundai me. already uh discontinued the azera uh in the u.s market so i i would be i would not be at all surprised to see some, if not all of those models go away over the next couple of years, yeah,
0: and you know these are the cars that they don't try as hard to sell uh you know I think of of all of them g m is trying to sell us large cars sort of more aggressively, like you you really don't hear or see much about the Taurus or the azera uh you know, um it's just they're not they're not trying to make people aware of them and it's not where the money is. So fall, fall, go where the money is, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: That makes sense. Um, it, so we're probably going to see like some of these avoid getting cut and, uh, there'll be some, some think pieces about how, you know, lamenting the death of the large sedan because crossovers are popular. And so that means everybody who writes about cars and crossovers hates crossovers because, they're popular That's that's sort of like you know circle of um <laughs> hatred or whatever you know it used to be used to be suvs and then it was minivans before that and just whatever's popular apparently as auto riders we're not supposed to like
1: it and um, you know at, at some point if you know customers start dumping their crossovers and going back to sedans then you know manufacturers will just shift back you know yeah. they yeah they go with whatever customers want to buy
0: yeah, and you know, like honestly, crossovers are popular because they they do a lot of stuff that people want or people th- think they need.
1: Uh, yes, it's what they think they want.
0: Well, I mean, what they think they want turns out to be what they want when they're purchasing. You know, <laughs> like it's they've strange convinced strange themselves. Strange that's what you should. Well, be well that's but that's what that's what crossovers are. Really, like
1: but they don't need to be that
0: high. No, I I. I agree, except for I have one in my driveway. I have a Grand Cherokee in my driveway. Why did we buy a Grand Cherokee?
1: Because you're a hypocrite.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. At least I bought a Jeep. I didn't. You know, we t- tested some other stuff. I was like, nope. <laughs> this this is not not credible enough. Yeah. I. <laughs> so. Uh, All right. Yeah. What? When- I mean, I I personally won't. Like I uh, I think the people who miss the fleet the, the full size cars the most of the fleet operators.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, and you know, especially like uh police agencies and stuff. But I think, you know, like police agencies have already shifted uh as well. You know, the, the by far and away the most popular police vehicle in the US now is the uh the explorer, the, the four mm-hmm. uh police interceptor utility as they call it. It's not yeah, so it doesn't. It's not badged as an Explorer, but it's an Explorer.
0: That's uh, what I got pulled over by.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, for uh, for Ford, you know, that way outsells the uh, the Taurus sedan interceptors. And, you know, they Ford introduced, you know, they launched uh, a fusion hybrid based uh, police car at the New York Auto Show in April. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if, you know, sometime between now and, and next spring. We hear that the the Taurus-based police interceptor is going to be discontinued, and a new police interceptor sedan is based on uh, the Fusion Sport. You know, so you have yeah, you know the the, the EcoBoost V six um, Fusion-based uh, police interceptor because they've already done all the police interceptor work for the hybrid version. Uh, you know, so it's just a matter of putting you know the higher performance powertrain in that for the uh, for the for the interceptor sedan, and then. You know the the only other one. You know GM is already. Uh, I think they've already stopped selling the the Caprice, the Australian built Caprice um, police cars, and they're mainly focused on Tahoes now. Uh, and uh, Fiat Chrysler. Uh, you know they're there's I think they have the most market share among uh, police cars. You know police cars as opposed to utilities. Hmm. Um. The chargers. You know, the but- charges are doing pretty well, but you know they're still widely uh or vastly outnumbered by uh, explorers.
0: Oh yeah, Ford Ford really owns the um
1: the police market at this point. Yeah, they I they have about think. Yeah, they have uh, about 60% of the police market now.
0: Which is I mean that's really interesting cuz you know Chrysler back in the day uh Plymouth actually was huge uh in in police vehicles uh through the 60s and 70s. They they really had a pretty solid lock on it. Um, but yeah, they, the issue with like the fusion or even the, uh, the charger is that they're s- they're somewhat tight.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, especially, especially the trunk. I mean, I remember yeah. back in like 2008 or nine, I actually went out to uh, the Chrysler Chelsea proving grounds uh, where uh, every September the Michigan state police does their big test of all the police vehicles. And they do a bunch of performance testing on police vehicles and, and rate them all, uh, and th- between the Michigan State Police and the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department does does some testing as well. Between those two, the data de- generated by those two agencies is used by pretty much all police agencies to decide which vehicles they want to buy. And one of the you know at that time you know this was not long after uh, Chrysler had launched the uh, Charger uh Inter- Charger Pursuit, I think is what it's officially called. But the, you know, the Charger police car and one of the uh, things that they, you know, when I talked to some of the officers there, um, they said they, they loved the performance of the Charger. I mean, it was, you know, it was really fast, but um, they still preferred, you know, the Crown Vicks, which were still in production at that time because um, they were more useful in terms of the trunk space because police uh, police officers today, especially, you know, one's highway patrols and. And, you know, those uh, doing um, general patrol, uh, they carry around a lot of gear in the back of the car. There's, you know, all the radios and emergency equipment. So there's a lot of gear in the trunk and the charger uh, always had a a smaller trunk. And the, the opening to the trunk was not as useful for getting stuff in and out as it was in the Crown Vic. And, you know, they had. Once they transitioned, once Ford transitioned, you know, dropped the uh, Crown Vic and transitioned over to the Taurus, it had the same problem. And the reason why the Explorer is so popular is because you know, as a utility, it's got that big opening in the back, and it's much easier for them to get their gear in and out of there and and do all the things they need to do uh, for with police vehicles to, with modern police vehicles. So yeah, uh, you know, I think you know the the Charger. The charger is still popular for uh, for highway patrols for for doing pursuit because it does have the performance. But it's you know aside from that, you know most agencies prefer to go with the explorer with the explorers.
0: Yeah, well, and you know when uh, Chrysler sort of re-entered the market with the charger too. One of the things that they had to, to deal with was uh, if you've got a whole fleet of Crown Victorias and you're still making the Crown Victoria you're going to go with the thing you're set up to support. You know, you've got all those spare parts you've got, um, you know, the Ford and Ford's actual fleet support is really good. I guess if you need, uh, parts and service and stuff like that, Ford Ford takes care of its fleet, uh, cause they've been doing it a long time. They, they just know how to take care of it. Um, and that was one of the things, uh, in talking with a, a mass state officer was, you know, the, the Chrysler's, you know, I was like, how do you like your charger? He's like, I, I love it. It's great. But, you know sometimes the downtime is there you know an issue and they they are not quite as durable at least at that point as the crown vic that's probably been sorted out by now but uh yeah so Ford just you know they got themselves entrenched and they're they're good at it so uh i would assume that you're going to see a lot of explorers even if they make a fusion interceptor
1: um yeah i mean I'd, but you know F- fca would be wise to you know do a. Um, a police version of the, uh, Durango, the Dodge Durango as an alternative yeah, or, to the charger
0: or the Pacifica paddy wagon. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> for, for
1: that, you know, I mean, as a, as a front wheel drive car, front wheel drive vehicle, you know, I don't, I don't think the Pacifica would be that, uh, that useful as a pursuit vehicle, but
0: well, but I mean, how many pursuits like, so that's the thing, right? You've well, got like municipal vehicles and, and then pursuits and I don't know. Um, I think you could, I, especially with the way police forces are militarizing, you, yeah. you could put all kinds of stuff in there. That's true. <laughs> um, but you know what? Speaking of criminal activity, I think that's a good time to talk about uh, the Volkswagen Dieselgate fix, uh, how that's rolling out in, in Germany, where the news, German government. And
1: there's news here today, too, as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, this seems like a much larger, like an octopus of a problem, too. Like the the idea that they they basically colluded to.
1: Well, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which
0: which, which is sort of the last piece of news that I touched on.
1: Yeah. So that there's, you know, um, accusations uh, last week that um, the the big German automakers, Volkswagen, Daimler, and BMW supposedly colluded beginning in the late 1990s. Um, a couple of ways. One on uh diesel emission controls, but also on um more generally uh doing some uh some price fixing stuff, uh which is certainly not legal. Uh and they are denying it. BMW's been most vociferous about denying it. Um but uh yeah we'll we'll see. I mean we don't know what's going on there. I mean that's still too early to tell, you know, if that's if that's real or not. But what's interesting is on the on the diesel stuff Um, they, uh, Volkswagen came out with a fix last year for in 2016 for European, uh, diesel vehicles, uh, that was supposed to address the emissions problems. But, uh, when they started applying it to, to, uh, customer vehicles, you know, a lot of customers were complaining that it hurt performance and and fuel economy of their vehicles. And so a fairly large percentage of customers over there. Decided that they just weren't going to bring their cars in and have the fix done, or the, you know, have have the recall work done on their vehicles, and they were just going to keep driving them the way they were. Um, and when something like that happens here in the U.S., uh, what typically happens, you know, the you know Department of Transportation monitors when a manufacturer uh, does a recall, and if a certain percentage of vehicles haven't been repaired. Within a certain time period, and this happened to Chrysler a few years ago with uh, an issue on the Rams, um, you know, they they go back and find the manufacturer or in some cases, you know, force them to do a buyback, which they did, on, which they did with Chrysler on those Rams and buy back a bunch of vehicles um, if they you know, if customers didn't bring them in. Well, you know, the thing is, what are you going to do You know, if you send out recall notices to your customers and they don't bring the vehicles in to be fixed? you're going to go out and tow those vehicles into your dealership and forcibly fix them. Um, You know, so it seemed, you know, it seems, it seems kind of unfair to go after the the manufacturers in that case. So what's happening in Germany is the, the German government is actually uh, talking about deregistering vehicles that haven't been repaired. So if you don't bring your Volkswagen or Audi diesel vehicle in to get this update, um, your, your vehicle registration will be canceled. Your license plate will be canceled on that vehicle.
0: Yeah, I mean, that puts the, uh, the sort of burden of action kind of squarely where it needs to be at this point. And I say that as an owner of a vehicle that's got a couple of open recall campaigns on it that has not been back to get those recall campaigns you got, performed. You got some
1: Takata airbags?
0: Uh, I don't know that I've got the Takata airbags. I have the fuel pump relay that the uh, total integrated power module, which has an, uh, a relay attached to the, the circuit board that will overheat oh. and will uh, sometimes just cause things shut off. Uh, I haven't had a problem yet. So, I mean, <laughs> I have to get it done. I just haven't. The last time I checked, they didn't have the part, which is the other thing. You know, those those recalls are mandated, at least here in the U.S. You know, like you you as a manufacturer when you have to when you decide it's time to do a recall or if you get forced into doing a recall you have to send the notices out that doesn't necessarily align with the timing of the replacement parts i mean that's the takata thing right right now like they're they're just warrant airbags to replace them so uh
1: and that's there's the case with you know several tens of millions of vehicles that are on the road that have not been updated and have not had their airbags replaced because there were no replacement parts yet to put on them.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a good, good measure. Honestly. Like, I, I mean, it's like, Hey, get your thing fixed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like
1: well, it'll, it'll be curious to see what happens here because, you know, as I mentioned uh, today, uh, news came out that EPA and CARB, the Cal- uh, California air resources board finally approved a fix for the first generation Volkswagen, two liter TDI engines, um, for the emissions. Uh, so I think so far of the 400, uh, let's see, there were, I, I believe th- roughly 360,000 of those vehicles with that engine in them. Uh, and of the 480,000 totally affected vehicles, um, I think over 300,000 have already been repurchased by Volkswagen. You know, customers have brought them in and sold them back to Volkswagen. And those are all sitting in lots scattered around the country, uh, including the the Pontiac Silverdome parking lot. Uh, The, uh, now that there's a fix um, for customers that don't want to sell their cars back to Volkswagen, they will be able to get this fixed or this, let me not instead of using the word fix, they will be able to get this update done, uh, which it's not clear. Why are you saying update instead of fix? Well, because it's it's likely that it will um, reduce the performance of the engine and also uh, reduce the fuel efficiency. So as some reports have said, you know, it could knock two to three miles per gallon off the fuel efficiency. Um, and, you know, it, it may cut the power rating of the engine as well. So we don't know for sure yet. In fact, we don't even know for sure uh, exactly what it, what the changes are uh, other than the uh, the the NOx catalyst is going to be replaced. What it's going to be replaced with is unknown at this point. We don't know if they're going to be installing urea injection systems or just using a larger um, NOx trap or you know, none of that has been revealed yet. Uh, so the the extent of the modifications is unknown but um for the, the for those customers that still haven't sold their cars back to Volkswagen including one friend of ours who still has her uh uh 2011 i think or 2010 2010 or 11 uh Jetta wagon um this this will be an opportunity to keep their vehicles and get them updated uh and for the hundreds of thousands of cars that Volkswagen has bought back um, they'll be able to uh, make this update to those vehicles and then resell them if they want to as used vehicles.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I can understand why they don't want to get them updated because part of the reason why you like the car is the way it performs. And if the update is going to, to mess with that, like uh, it's not the same car, you know, like it. uh, And I would expect it's very reasonable to, uh, expect the economy and the performance to be reduced because that's kind of the way you reduce the emissions is you, you know you make it run a little less on the ragged edge so uh yeah i mean i would take the money personally that's what i did <laughs> i just take the you money know and it, run yeah i don't want the car <laughs> back after, after you've given it a lobotomy just give give me the
1: cash Yep. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's exactly what we decided to do. So um, it's, you know, we're, we're happy with our decision, you know, and, you know, well, I, I don't want to get into Volkswagen reliability issues. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, you just said all you need to say. Yeah.
1: So. All right. Why don't we uh, dive in? We had one question uh, that came in on Twitter earlier this week. Uh, why don't you queue it up for us, Dan?
0: Uh, sure. You didn't want to talk about the the lunatic in Silicon Valley who thinks yeah. that uh, self driving cars are going to cost four hundred thousand dollars?
1: No. Um, to to the guy who's the twenty two year old founder of some company called Luminar. Um, self driving cars—they're not going to cost four hundred thousand um, dollars. They will. Cool. Be, cool name though. They, they will be expensive. Uh, they will cost a lot more, and and that's why you know they probably won't be sold to consumers for the most part. But I've already discussed that, and you know, for you know. Four hundred thousand is ridiculous.
0: No, look, man, those things are going to be so wrapped in advertising. It's they're not. They, they may be free.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So we may, will all be on the inside where you can't escape it, from it.
0: It will be both. Yes. I, if there's a surface you can put advertising on, yeah. it will have it. They're going to use those new um, Samsung o- OLED panels that can bend.
1: Oh, yeah. And they just
0: get. They're going to wrap the car and, and yeah, all it's right. be disgusting. Our future is gonna look like Blade Runner. Um, He does. Yeah, that's that's true. So we, (laughs) Jesus, Uh, at least it doesn't look like Brazil yet. Yeah. Um, Yet. 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 Uh, But they're they're working on the healthcare bill. It's gonna be like that dentist
1: scene. Okay, okay, move on.
0: um okay so we had a question on twitter about how we would turn lincoln into a actual world-class luxury brand and i thought it was interesting because we both answered this question independently uh yet we came up with some of the same conclusions
1: yeah uh you know ba- basically you know it's it's a matter of um you know trying to get trying to make uh, Lincoln vehicles relevant for, for today's market. So you suggested a highly luxurious EV minivan. Because
0: that's something that doesn't exist. And I see how many people buy like the Honda pilot elite, at least around here in an area where there's, there's families with money and they're concerned about buying the finest consumer goods, especially if other people can see, um, Yeah, there's a lot of those around here and they're expensive. That's a $50,000 minivan. So if and people love Teslas, they're like cockroaches on the road here, too. So combine those those two points, you know, an all electric minivan that is very luxurious. And I I think that in a certain volume, certainly more than Lincoln manages to actually sell of conventional automobiles, you could probably do well with that.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, that's there's definitely um, definitely some potential there to to do something interesting. You know, um, you know, I think the other thing that they that Lincoln really needs to focus on is electrification. And I I suspect that this is part of the plan already. You know, when back in late 2015, Ford announced that they were going to do 13 new electrified nameplates by 2020. Um, You know, I think at least a couple of those and maybe more will be Lincoln branded vehicles <clears throat> because uh, you know, if, if you look at the the market, you know, you look at BMW, for example, you know, they now offer um, plug-in hybrids and plug-in hybrid powertrains on all of their um, major name uh, model lines, you know, from the three series, five series, seven series, the X five, um, the, uh, the X three, You know, they're all available with plug in hybrids now. And, you know, part of the reason why premium brands are going this direction, um, especially when they have more mainstream brands as part of their portfolio as well, is it's easier to uh, to sell those vehicles, you know, because you can you can tune them for a little more performance than you would for mainstream, you know, instead of focusing on maximum fuel efficiency, you can tune them for a little more performance, getting a, a big gain in fuel efficiency, get a performance bump. And then uh, it's easier to get those customers in at those higher price points to absorb the, the cost, the extra cost of that hardware. And so, you know, instead of, you know, selling them at break even or losing money on them, you can sell them at a profit. Uh, and I think that's, that's, actually working out reasonably well for bmw right now Uh, mercedes is going more that direction Uh, folks you know audi you know we're seeing more electrified vehicles being added to the audi uh, uh, lineup and so i think we're going to see more and more of that and i think you know it would be smart for lincoln to do the same thing you know they've got the mkz hybrid but i think you know i'm surprised that they haven't already launched a version of the continental with the plug-in hybrid powertrain from the Fusion Energy, uh, but using uh, a more powerful engine instead of the two-liter Atkinson that the Fusion has, you know, maybe using a two-liter EcoBoost um, or even the two-point-three-liter EcoBoost, you know, with a plug-in hybrid for you know performance comparable to the the twin-turbo V-six, but also giving it you know fifteen twenty miles of, of electric driving range on top of that.
0: Yeah. So the thing that um... Lincoln has really two problems here. And the thing that makes BMW successful is BMW has so, so carefully built a reputation and a brand and an image. uh, And they're just, they're known as, as a premium product, as a a premium car. People are willing to spend the money for them. Um, Lincoln is on the other hand, still kind of a joke. Uh, You know, they're, they have that old man car image, you know. People mm-hmm. still think of town cars when they say Lincoln, although there hasn't been a town car for a long time, five years at least, right? Right. Uh so they also have kind of a confused lineup, you know. The styling was wonky. They had weird stuff like the MKT, and uh you know, they're now being a little bit more cohesive, but even the the MKZ, it's a fusion and it like it's not it doesn't separate itself. Uh, as well from the fusion as it should like they, they try, but really like there's nothing distinctive enough. And Lincoln hasn't.
1: I don't know. I would, I would would, uh, argue with that. I think, you know, the MKZ has got pretty distinctive styling from the fusion. It, you know, it does not.
0: Now it does. And, and styling like styling wise. Yes. It's been, it's been separated for the last couple generations, even when they had the, the split grill, there, the last last two sort of generations of the MKZ, you're right. They they do look different, but on the
1: inside, I mean, it's to me. I get in one
0: of those, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a fusion. Like, I, it doesn't feel different enough.
1: Yeah, um, you know the the um, MKZ, you know, was set apart by being. You know, when they launched the the current generation, you know, in 2012, the MKZ was the only one that had a V6. The Fusions were all had four cylinder engines um so you know they had that going for them they they did have the hybrid but that was the exact same powertrain that was in the fusion hybrid um yeah and i think what they need to do is kind of step up their game a little bit on the electrification and, and i suspect that they will you know there's been some rumors that they're going to do uh a new aviator uh three-row crossover um you know which will almost certainly be based on the next generation explorer you know which is due sooner rather than later, Uh, you know, so I think when that one arrives, we'll probably see um, some sort of electrified powertrain in there, either a hybrid or plug-in hybrid. I think that would, that would be smart for them to do that. And the thing that, the thing that um, the direction that Lincoln's been trying to go recently is trying to promote this idea of quiet luxury, you know, so they're, they're not trying to be ostentatious, you know, but they're trying to be very refined uh, you know, cause they know that they're not going to be able to do the whole driver's car kind of thing. They, and they don't, you know, they don't want to try and emulate, you know, BMW or um, you know, or even, you know, what Cadillac has been trying to do, you know, so they're trying to go a different direction um, and, and create that refined luxury feel. Uh, and I think electrification could actually help them do that. You know, especially if they have plug-in hybrids with some decent amount of electric driving range, you know, the the quietness of driving on electricity, I think would fit really well with that quiet luxury image.
0: Well, yeah. And they really, you know, I guess what I was getting at was that they really need something that's very distinctive because if Lincoln is to survive on its own merit versus the good graces of the Ford motor company, uh, they really do need to, to build up to some sort of critical mass of, of sales and desirability in a short time. And the way to do that isn't to try to compete with BMW or even Cadillac, but they, they really need to find those opportunities that uh, are uh, exist for an automaker to, to do something that's, that's different, that uh, hasn't, hasn't really been satisfied, or there's only sort of one or two other alternatives, which is why I went for the, the electrified minivan. um, But also, you know, like an an aviator with uh, an electrified powertrain either hybrid or fully electric like that's a fantastic idea uh you know something that has the potential to to carry the luxury right luxury vehicles are high profit so you know a lot of the engineering is there in the ford parts bin it's how well it stands apart you know how much different it looks how much more nicely it's appointed and how hard they sell it you know how they position it and right now man i don't know what lincoln is trying to say that's a big part of it mm-hmm. um and they they can reinvent themselves uh and they'd be much better off trying to reinvent themselves as a contemporary of those guys in silicon valley that that we talked about a little while ago then uh you know trying to really calm down us us hair splitters who say you know yeah the you know the the Fusion didn't offer a V6, but the MKZ did. You know what? Like nobody cares about that. It needs to, except for us, like it needs to be a really big break. uh, Something that's, that's much more distinctive and, and really stands on its own and makes, makes some waves. And they can do that even for not a lot of money.
1: Um, Yeah. And, you know, the more I think about it, you know, uh, an EV minivan, you know, certainly, you know, an EV of some sort, I think is, an essential part of their lineup, you know, if they really want to push that quiet luxury thing, but an EV minivan would be, would be interesting. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm wondering, you know, if there's, if there's going to be enough people that want to buy, you know, say a $75,000 electric minivan.
0: Well, you know, the other thought that had me thinking of the electric minivan was, um, you know, Lincoln could get big into partnering with an uh, uh, autonomous services and you know they Ford owns chariot. Um so having a vehicle that works real well for for ride hailing and autonomous services, you know, instead of Volvo XC90s, why doesn't Lincoln go and lease a bunch of their cars to Uber?
1: Yeah. Well and I think I think that's exactly the the direction they're gonna go. I I you know a, a previous blog post I wrote a couple months ago um postulated that you know exactly that. Um not using the the chariot brand but Um, the Lincoln chauffeur brand that they recently launched um, which they're piloting in a couple of cities right now. And and right now, you know, it uses Lincoln chauffeur actually, you know, they Lincoln vets, um, human drivers. You know, if you want to go out for a night on the town and you don't want to drive your Lincoln um, you know, you can call up uh, you know, the, the, their their concierge service and they will, they will send over uh, a professional driver to drive you and your and your partner around for the evening um, or you know pick up your kids or whatever else you want um, and if you get you know one of the if you live in uh, one of the cities where they're piloting it piloting the program right now you know if you buy you know the Lincoln you know one of the black label Lincoln's I think you get a certain number of hours of, of chauffeur service included with that uh, and then they charge a yeah, I think it I can't remember what it is but there's an hourly rate beyond that but I think Longer term, you know, that idea of chauffeur is is how they would implement a premium automated mobility service. So once you've got automated vehicles, you could have automated Lincolns that provide you that same kind of service, um, you know, and they could you know, use that chauffeur Lincoln chauffeur branding for that.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially because it's a it's a premium luxury brand and there's lots of people in, you know, th- in business that mm-hmm. would like that right like yeah. uh, i saw an article today where uh most business travelers actually now don't use cabs they use ride hailing yeah so to ha- to offer a premium ride hailing service that's aimed at something right exactly so it's, it's aimed at sort of higher end business travelers uh and get your vehicles out there and it, especially if you have the vehicle that can accommodate comfortably a business traveler right like like either a large uh, crossover or a minivan which ford doesn't have but they could you know engineer something uh i have faith uh and so like you get off your plane you have plenty of space to put your crap you've got you know two really nice reclining you know second row seats thing has an internet connection and all kinds of tech in it you can it, you know it's just got a keurig in the center console <laughs> like and i'm just saying like it's a, a it's
1: it's not hard machine. no none of this rig right. nonsense sure
0: right uh, uh yes a pour
1: over uh actually, kind of actually yeah. it would have a, a barista in there right
0: <laughs> there's enough room. i mean come on yeah i mean if you're
1: do a minivan you might as well do it right you know have have, right. have a barista you know to prepare exactly what you want
0: well actually and ford has that system right that that recovers the evaporated water from the uh the the condensate from the AC, so it's just yeah. I mean, you could use that to make the coffee, right? You just got to heat it on the exhaust a little bit. We've got this all worked out. Yeah,
1: perfect. <laughs> we'll call. Uh, we'll call up Kumar Gohatra tomorrow morning, and uh, yeah, we'll lay it out for him, and you know, they'll have it implemented by the end of the month.
0: I mean, I would really like that as a as a a project. Maybe maybe they could give me Lincoln and see what I can do with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, uh, yes. All right. All
0: right. I think that's a podcast.
1: Yes, absolutely. that's more than uh,
0: <laughs> All right. So, uh, please review us on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get the the podcast. Uh all,
1: toss us Carlovin friends yes. to come and, you know, subscribe to the show. Uh,
0: we are on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Um no vowels except for the A. Uh we're on Facebook um, and you can shoot us emails. You can find me at Boston underscore auto, uh, Sam. You're at Sam Obuel Samid on, uh, Twitter. And you're also on Facebook. You're everywhere. You're more places than I am. Um,
1: I am and self promoter. Yeah. It's what you have
0: to be. Uh, and so we will be back next time with, uh, with more.
1: Absolutely. See you next time. Bye.